What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Run Your Mouth Podcast. And this is nice. I'm actually, I'm live in my living room talking to you guys at 11 a.m. And uh, firstly, been very pleasantly surprised with how many people have been willing to hang out for the live podcast. Uh, I found both the ones that I did were particularly fun. Uh, I enjoyed the Pittsburgh one a little bit more than the one I did in Sandpoint just because it was funnier. I I don't always have control of the news. You know what I mean? Like, I don't always know what's going to come up, what jokes I'm going to write. Uh, but I will say that, like, I can't meander as much in front of a live crowd. If anything, I find it draws more focus. And then I'm like, ah, shit, there's people looking at me. I better tell them something important. So, you know, I don't end up streaming about the diarrhea I had in the morning. I don't talk about the coffee I had, about the problems I've had on airplanes, about, you know, all these trials and tribulations of daily life, of traveling the universe, getting on planes, getting off of planes. And so I thought today, now that we're in the living room and I can relax, I can just yell into the hallway, let the neighbors know that that guy who likes yelling a whole bunch to a couple people on the internet is back. So I figured, you know, we, we could get into some uh, some of the nonsense stuff. So first, I just want to let you guys know, no Hunter Biden jokes on this episode whatsoever. I'm not going to tell a single Hunter Biden joke. You know why? Because this weekend in Atlanta, it's actually not in Atlanta. I'm sorry. It's in Nashville, except it's not really in Nashville. I just say it's Nashville because we're about 40 minutes outside of Nashville. But I want people to think we're in a major metropolitan area. So that way they think, oh, my God, Rob, what an unbelievable comedian that guy is. He gets to play major metropolitan areas. He's not one of these people that just has to play little cities outside of the big cities. He's big time now. He's traveling the whole globe playing in major metropolitan areas. So, you know, that's why I just say I'm in Atlanta. That's why I just say I'm in Nashville. It's a marketing trick. But I'll cop to you guys and let you know that I'm being full of shit and I'm not actually in those towns. As long as you have the inside scoop and you're listening to the podcast, then you can know I'm not actually going to be in Atlanta. I, I'm not even flying into Atlanta. I'm going to be driving there. And then I'm not even going to be in Nashville. Well, all right. Anyways, here's what I'm trying to say. Hunter Biden, I'm going to be with BK Chris, the funnest to live podcast with. And we're going to be doing a full episode, Hunter Biden breakdown. We're going to be looking at all the dick pics. We're going to be looking at the porn. We're going to be talking about this guy's parting lifestyle. We're going to get into all the dirty details. You know why? Because CPU God, the person who built the Alex Jones theater, because he's got the archive of all the Alex Jones content that ever existed. You, you, you ever go to YouTube and you're like, hey, how come I can't watch the good Alex Jones stuff? You're not going to find it there. You got to travel to Nashville and then go find CPU God's farm. And then you can sit down in the Alex Jones theater and he'll broadcast all day. You can bring your own popcorn. You can sit there all day and he'll take you on a guide of the best of Alex Jones, which by the way, I'm going to talk to him because maybe we can add that to the lineup of things that we do. Maybe we'll start the stand-up show whatever time I put into the Eventbrite, which is hopefully the local time. Can I just tell you, talk about failed technology. How does Eventbrite not automatically, when I put the location in as being Los Angeles, then automatically populate the time to that time zone? I mean, how do they not make it retard proof that I keep getting emails like, hey, you know, you didn't set for the local time zone. And it's like, no, I don't want to do it at four in the afternoon, which would have been New York City time, 7 p.m. That doesn't make any fucking sense. All right. Anyways, you see, this is why it's nice to be in the living room. You get to meander. I don't have the pressure on the crowd. I don't have to focus. We don't even have to cover any news topics. We could just jibber, jabber, jabber, jibber the whole time. Is that a racist way to say am I? I don't know. All right. Let's just keep a little bit of focus here. Hunter Biden, we're going to be doing a full breakdown full stand-up show followed by the live pod at Andrew's farm. That one was a blast last year. And I'm going to be at Fayetteville uh, for people that came out the last time when I did the end of year misinformation spectacular this time I'm doing stand-up. BK Chris is doing stand-up. We might also do a little bit, uh, a little bit of a shorter live pod. Uh, if the, uh, if we can pull it off of that venue. So pick up your tickets, this is going to be a hell of a weekend. This is uh 
this is this is summer porch tour at its finest. Uh, and then also, if you're in or around New York City, I'm going to be at Caroline's next week with my good friend Menu and Heart. He is headlining Caroline's. Caroline's a very cool, big time New York City venue. And uh, you know, show up, show some support so that when I open up for my friend and I'm telling vaccine jokes, I don't make the entire audience really pissed and then blow my friend's uh, opportunity to headline at Caroline's. So help me not blow my friend's opportunity to headline Caroline's by getting so many run your mouthers showing up that I can go deep on the material I do now that New York City crowds really don't like because, uh, you know, I'm talking about women's with penises. I'm talking about vaccine mandates. Uh, you know, it's not even comedy at this point, except I'm lying. It's funny. It's stand-up comedy. Show up, buy your tickets. All right, let, let's get into some topics, which, uh, like I said, no news yet. We're, we're, we'll, we'll get to, uh, we'll get to you know, the, the news later. Um, but I want to start with this. I don't know what tickets is. I, I you know, I put it right. I, I keep organized lists. I'm not like Dave who can just off the top of his head, just spew brilliance. I need lists here. I need PowerPoint presentations. And the first thing on my list, which says tickets, I don't know. I don't even know what that. Oh, I remember driving to Pittsburgh. That's a long ass drive. Seven hours there, seven hours back. If you take pee breaks, if you check it every, you stop at every gas station for seltzers. You keep debating. Hey, do I want to eat snacks? Want to eat, not want to eat snacks off the highway, back on the highway. You pass a town. You're like, Hey, maybe there's something interesting in this town. Then you get off the highway, realize it's just an entrance ramp to another thing. Now you're headed to another town. I'm pretty good at speeding and then turning a seven hour drive. into like an eight and a half hour drive. Hey, did that place have snacks? Okay, I'm not going to eat the snacks. All right, now I bought the snacks. Ah, shit, now I got to use the bathroom again. I mean, I'm fun. I'm fun. You want to come on the road with me? I'll see a sign that there's a pie factory, and I'll be like, listen, we're not eating any pies, but then let's look at the pies, and then I'll stop at the pie factory, and then I'll look at them, and then finally I'll succumb, and I'll be like, we're not eating this till later, and then I'll just shove my face in the car. I don't even eat pie with a fork and spoon. I'll just I'll just reach in there and you know hope I get pulled over, and then the officer's like, are you doing heart surgery in here? And then you got to explain to him, no, I'm just eating cherry pie with my hands. This is a long ride. And you guys keep giving me tickets and telling me I can't speed. So, you know, I'm just trying to observe the law. And so uh, you leave me with no choice but to eat cherry pie while I'm driving. I got two tickets. First ticket on I-95. I'm going 75 and a 55, but it's not really 75 and a 55. Dude, I-95, it's like the most traveled highway in the world. People are fucking moving. They're wheeling and dealing. And then here was the thing. I was talking on the phone. I was talking on the phone. I wasn't just talking on the phone. I'm on speakerphone. I'm, I'm, I'm yelling, hey, you got you to gotta buy that stock. I told you to sell that stock. I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm balls deep into this phone call. And then I see the lights behind me. I literally say to the guy I'm on the phone with, hey, I'm being pulled over. I need you to do me a favor. You got to hang up this call. Friend hangs up the call. I get pulled over and then the guy's like, I don't want you pulling over over there. You got to keep going forward and then pull over. And I'm, you know, it was like, uh, but you, you know, you yell at the cop and the cop can't hear you, but I think he can tell that you're yelling. Like when you put your arms up and then he goes, all right, this guy's confused at what I said. And then he's like, you got to go through the bridge and then you pull over. There's more room to pull over. And then the guy, I couldn't even believe I was getting a speeding ticket. I was like, wait, this isn't about the phone thing. It's 75 and a 55 on I-95. That's a, that's a crazy ticket. And then I got lucky on the next ticket. The next ticket I got lucky on. I was once again, I was on a phone call, but this time I had my fancy headset on. I'm spacing out. I'm thinking about whatever. I'm coming down this big hill. And uh, in the corner of my eye, this cop, he had a good spot. I mean, there was like the hill. He was like in the blind spot of the hill. So you could not see this guy. And I guess no one else on my Googles or my Wazes, nobody flagged this cop. I come down. I see this guy slam on the brakes. I, when I looked at that, O'Donnell, I was going 100, which is too fast. I like to go 80. This has been my philosophy. It's kept me from speeding tickets for a long time. You want to be about 15 above the speeding limit. 
Uh, I like float around 80. If you're in a 55, you, you go to about 80. Usually you can spot the guy. You can get it down. So you're only about 10 over. They don't even really ticket you. If you're driving something that's 70, you can go as high as 90. Because once you press that brake, you kind of drop 10 pretty quickly. Then they flag you about 10 over. And eh, sometimes they just warn you. They let you go on your way. So this guy pulls me over and I'm like, oh, I'm fucked on this one. But then he ended up being cool. He gave me a jaywalking on the highway ticket, which is apparently the most expensive ticket you can get. That's a non-moving violation. And then, but then you're like, well, is it going to show up on my insurance record that I was just walking on a highway? That doesn't, that doesn't sound like, I, I don't know if I want a permanent record of that. I haven't ever jaywalked on a highway. I'm not that stupid. Uh, but it really ruined the ride home. Cause then I was like, fuck, I was doing the thing where you just put on cruise control, but then you're just sitting in the car and you're like, it's like, I don't know. Not that I'm, I, 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 if anyone's driven with me, they could tell you, I feel like I'm an aggressive driver, but I'm a safe driver. And yes, do I like driving in S patterns or as Sid likes to call it? I'm like a serpent on the highway, highway getaway driver. But like, that's the way you, you, you put on your tunes. And then that's like, what's natural to me. You're just kind of flowing with the road. But then all of a sudden, if you got to watch that thing and make sure you're under 80 and it's just open lanes, you're like tapping at the steering wheel. You're like, I don't want to ever drive to Pittsburgh again. Like, what the fuck am I driving to Pittsburgh for? I, that gig was a lot of fun. So it was worth doing. But, man, I fucking, I, I, pretty soon I'm going to have to become a trains and planes guy. That always sucks when you end up, like, showing up to a date on a scooter. And then you got to explain to, like, the lady, uh, listen, I got too many speeding tickets. That never comes off well. They're never like, oh, there's too many cops out there. And I see the way that they're giving tickets. They never take your side on that. They, they just assume you ran over someone's babies. That's what they assume. They assume that you're an alcoholic, you're a drunk driver. You went out there, you ran over some kids' children's, and now you're trying to get all around on a scooter and passing that off as normal as if it's the policeman's fault. But I, I'm going to stand by it. It is the policeman's fault. Now they got all these fucking cameras in New York City. Every week I get a new ticket in the mail. I'm, I think I'm about a month away from not being allowed to legally drive in New York City, which at least is fun because then you get to, it's a nice, it's a nice talking point you know people are like hey how come you don't drive anymore and you're like i'm not even illegally allowed to do that anymore all right next is uber back seats i've noticed maybe this is just an uber thing but like when you get into back seats now you know like that annoying like ding 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 when you're not bad but by the way i'm really good at not hearing that i can tone out one of those fucking ring-a-ding-dinger-dinger-dingers all day long i get in my car I, I buckle my seatbelt if I'm going long enough, then it makes sense. You're driving 10 minutes of your car. You really want to buckle your seatbelt, but ding, ding. And so you finally, you're like, all right, all right, all right, I'll buckle. But now if you're in the backseat of an Uber, they do that shit. Firstly, I, I'm, I'm, I'm turning back to pro cab. I, I don't know. Some of these towns, these Uber prices are out of control. And now you got to buckle your, 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 your buckle yourself in the backseat. Sometimes they still send you messages. You got to wear a mask. I mean, how gay is this corporation? All right. So we're going anti-Uber, but I do want to come out as pro small planes. Dude, I, I, you, you go into like small enough airports and you just, you feel like you're flying private. Like, I, I don't know how come the TSA can't figure out how to just operate every single time you're on a flight as if it was like a small airport. Dude, small airports are a fucking breeze. You show up, security maybe takes you 10 minutes. The people that operate the security, I don't know, they're, 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 not, they're not like frantic they don't have like, they're going to miss a flight energy. They're nice to you. You can take your time. You can talk to an old lady. You don't have to push her out of the way and go, hey, listen, that's my card. You get your own cart, you dumb old bitch. 
It's not my fault that you decided to travel alone and you've got crippled legs. I mean, that's what happens. You get to these other airports and it feels like if you don't seize every single bin and you don't, uh, I, I use my, my basketball coach days where, you know, I'll box these old bitches out with my fucking big ass butt. That's why I squat in the gym is to make sure no one tries to encroach on where I'm putting down my containers. And uh, so anyways, you get to these small airports, you can get there 10 minutes beforehand with all the drugs you want to do on your flight. They let you right through. It's no big deal. And then they pull the best move ever. Don't fall for their scam where they want you to check your bags. You don't have to ever pay for your bag. If your bag is too big, you know what they do? They just gate check it and then it's there waiting for you. Now, sure, if you got to take shits at some of these airports and they got those crappy doors, you can barely squeeze yourself into the stall. You, you need to bring your own lubricant, you know, to wedge it, to wedge it, your bag and your body just to get yourself through these little tiny stall doors that you can take a shit. And then you try getting through the TSA security and they go, hey, listen, this is too much lubricant. And you're like, listen, I'm just trying to fit into your stall doors. You get bigger stall doors. I don't need to fly with my lube. I'm perfectly fine with my spit when I jerk off in your flight bathrooms. I didn't need to bring this lube with me. I'm just trying to fit into your bathroom stall doors. That's a, that's on you. That's not on me. All right. So anyways, first thing small airports get right is, uh, they got space. They got a calm to them. It's like an airport. That went to like a, like a yoga clinic in the Far East and it came back and now it's got a sense of tranquility. But here's the other thing that they do well. They don't, they don't have any space on smaller planes for you to stash your bag. They only have small spaces for your little backpacks, which forces everybody to gate check their bags. But now here's what's great about gate checking the bag is that it doesn't have to go through this whole wheelie system, get mixed in with the other bags, or you got to stand on a line and then there's a treadmill and you're standing there. And now once again, you got to box out the same old lady and you're like, didn't you learn your lesson the whole, the whole time that I'm going to be the one person who's going to be aggressive and boxy out. You got dementia too. Go, go stand on another part of this conveyor belt, you know, or get some family with loved ones that will help you fly. Why, why you got to look at me with those sad grandma eyes for all right, I'm not trying to pick on old ladies here. I'm trying to talk about the thrill of flying into smaller airports. So here's what's great about the smaller airport. They just they just wheel all the bags off on this big tray. It's almost like a buffet of bags. You get off the plane, the buffet of bags is there. You grab it, you're on your way. I don't know why every single plane can't just go with this system. Just get rid of the overhead bins, make it that you can just bring your backpack and then do everything as, as gate check, no check bags, problem solved, better security. What other problems do you guys have? Robsnewsroom at gmail.com. I'm going to become a logistics expert. You know what? We'll call it the whinycuntyjew.com where you hire me to show up and then I just complain about everything, but you actually come along. It's not like those survey, the customer surveys, you fill out the forms. They don't read those forms. So me, you just, you take me along and I go, why the fuck would you do it this way? Why the fuck would you do it that way? Why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do that? And then maybe they start, uh, actually fixing some stuff. All right. I got some other uh, stuff going on here, but I feel like, uh, we got some comments. Let's take a couple comments here. Um, funny how things change just in two years. We go from a global pandemic to pandemic of the unvaccinated to pandemic of the highly vaccinated. These are true facts, but I'm not trying to talk about the news yet. So what do you got to bring these things up for? Also, Uber back seats are not nearly spacious enough to get ahead in. <laughs> You see, this guy gets it. The company needs to address this and get rid of sedans, full cab trucks and SUVs only. The other thing that's nice about getting cab in a cab to getting your head in the backseat of a cab is that it does have like that kind of like wall. So you can pretend like the guy doesn't see you and uh, you don't you haven't prepaid for the destination. So if you're not done, 
He can tell the guy to keep on driving. And he's like, where do you want me to go? And you're just like, just, just go. I don't care. Drive to fucking Texas. I'm just not done yet. When I'm done, I'll pick a fucking destination. Can you keep moving? If you really want to go down the archives of uh, the Real Ass Podcast, I did maybe tell a story about uh, an incident similar to that that happened with a friend of mine because I'm not that kind of a man 10 years ago when I drank more. Uh, here, we'll take one more from Cole Morton. My lady just uh, circumcised me again in the back of this dude's knees on Ultima about four days ago. Well, you know, sometimes it grows back, and when it grows back, it looks even worse uh, than the way you... Uh, than the way you like initially had it. So uh, I think she made the right call. And then also if you time the bumps of the back seat good enough, it actually helps. Cause it's like a little bit like when you take a bandaid off slowly, like it fucking hurts. So if you're trying to like cut in and do your own circumcision and you're doing it at home and you're just laying there flat, like it's going to take some time. But like, if you get a good like car bump and like, you just got like a lot of it done at once. So you got a good girlfriend. That's a keeper. Uh, oh, Seattle coffee. My whole life I've heard people talk about how good Portland and Seattle coffee is. I think it's more of a Seattle thing. Portland, I don't remember that the coffee was particularly good. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a coffee snob. I don't, I, I'm not that like, I, I don't fucking swish it around. You know what I mean? I don't show up to a place and, and then sniff it and then, and then gargle it in my mouth and then go, oh, this is, uh, from the Nicaraguan, uh, uh, volcanoes. I'm doing like a Yogi Bear voice. Yogi Bear likes his coffee. Uh, it's a it's a volcano coffee. It's a, it's a very nice. All right. So, anyways, I go to Seattle. We get off a plane. Haven't eaten. I got an empty stomach. We show up to a place, and I go, "Oh man, I'm gonna try myself some of this Seattle coffee." I go into the Seattle coffee spot, and man, I've traveled the world. I've had greasy diarrhea. I've had wet stools. I've I've plastered and ruined some bathrooms. There are plaques in my name in some hotel rooms uh, uh, recognizing the diarrhea that I left in their establishments. But never have I experienced what I've experienced with Seattle coffee. I, I ended up doing uh, lines of Pepto-Bismo. I was chopping up and snorting Pepto-Bismo and shoving more Pepto-Bismo up my ass to try and solve what happened to me when I drank that Seattle coffee. I don't even, it's like a pure liquid. It like, I feel like someone told Antifa I was coming into town. I don't even think I was that important, but apparently Antifa knew that I was coming into town and they're like, we don't want this guy coming back here. So you better uh, fill up his coffee with some laxatives. I, it was so bad. The first place I went to, I actually thought that the guy, like, I thought the guy drugged me. I really did. I was like, I think that guy poisoned me. He was, he was some weird, like polite guy who seemed to probably have had a meth problem earlier in life because he didn't have, like, all that many teeth. And then he had a blue hair thing going on. But then he had this devious smile where he was being a little bit too polite. And I knew something was suspicious. I think maybe they just knew that I was a tourist and that if you're a tourist, you shouldn't be drinking Seattle coffee. And so I really thought that the first guy poisoned me. And then, like, all the way up until the show started, I you know, I was I was dealing with the, with the situation there. And then the next day, I got another, and I was like, oh, it's just the coffee here. So I, I guess props to Seattle. That's why everyone there is so fucking thin. Dude, I've never seen thin white women in a town like this anywhere in my entire life. So I, I guess if you got to lose weight, you know, instead of uh, just fucking go to Seattle, uh, spend a couple days there, drink some coffee. That shit is legit. Uh, all right. What else do I have on my uh, list? You know what? I see that Robert's here bright and early. So before I even get into any news topics, why not talk? to our loyal sponsor of the run your mouth podcast. Uh, the guy makes sheath underwears and I got, I got, I got a whole bunch of sheath talk here. 
Um, here, Robert, let me uh, bring you on. Let me bring this off. Hey. <laughs> Note that guy who got himself circumcised. I'm going to quickly turn my hat around. Ooh, you got the special edition run your mouth. There oh, it yeah. is, right on the side. And uh, do we end up uh, sending one or two out, or do we have to like get another shipment to make? No, I believe out? we. I believe we did. If we didn't, then uh, whoever was supposed to get it, please message uh, Robbie, and we'll get that out. We do have one left for sure. Hell yeah! Let's get the last one to Davy Smith. See if he'll actually wear it. He said it on uh, part of the problem. <clears throat> he did say that. I heard it. I hear. I hear everything. I love. <laughs> I love Davy Smith. He's got me fucking like questioning whether I still smoke weed every day. So. He's a very influential person, minus all the abortion talk, LOL. But uh, anyways, I'm a joke. Maybe uh, just give it a try. Give it a whirl. It's tough, though. If you're yeah. if you're like a full time pothead, it's not it's not it's not that easy to to make that switch. Yeah, I'm like Lewis J. Probably similar. I don't know if I don't know. I'd have to compare how much I smoke to other people. I what try to like keep it like, these tiny little bowls a couple times a day, a few times a day. But I'm not smoking blunts like all the time at all. Like, Are you like uh, an ounce a month? <clears throat> Wait, no, like a quarter, like a half ounce. I don't know. I don't. I don't pay. It, I don't weigh <laughs> it. But I hear you. Well, the other side to it is, uh, I think for if you were into harder drugs and then you found yourself to a functional marijuana lifestyle, <laughs> then sometimes you know you do just have to pick your battles and go. Hey, I'm a human being. I'm not perfect, and this is functional. You know. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> that was one of my well success tips is like don't smoke weed all day. But then you look at Louis J and me, and we have we're semi and a lot of people that smoke weed are successful. So that's not one of the I think, pillars. I think a part of it is I, uh, I think you can get to a point in your life where you've got enough structure and infrastructure that like it it kind of fits your lifestyle, and so you can get away with it. But yeah. I, I stand by for me, I I. I don't think anyone does their best work. Exactly. Now, the concept of best work is relative because, like, for example, if you quit smoking weed and then you got some crazy anxiety problem, you're eating donuts and jerking off all day, you're also not doing your best work. Or if you suddenly become an alcoholic or you're smoking cigarettes, like, you know what I mean? So you're cutting. So you got to kind of pick your battles. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, I personally find I, I like my marijuanas and uh, I smoke. I, I, I'm actually smoking a little bit more now than I was a little while ago. The Shedcast guys have kind of brought me back, uh, but I like it on the road. I like it on the road because I don't drink as much like after the late show, yeah. but I try and keep Here's a couple of the lessons that I've learned. One, it's a little bit like, you know, what they say with Coke, like if you do like more than like one bump, it starts, I, I guess the damage amplifies. So I've kind of found with weed also that if I can limit like taking like a single pole or two off a joint, yeah. And like, I wake up less. I hate waking up stone the next morning. Yeah. 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 That's, that's so, yeah, the thing I don't like. Little yeah. baby, baby hits. Take it easy. Cause the shit is strong these days. And, uh, you know, you don't want to overdo it and, and be like retarded. You want to just be in a zone and, and motivated. And if it's, if it's bringing you down, you know, that's a personal issue. I do want to say we dropped our G6 edition of sheath underwear today it is the latest like it's a generation six it's also kind of g6 fly like a g6 you know like airplane so you're riding in style you're flying in style we said it landed early unlike most airlines these days the g6 
landed early so it's re- and what's the uh what's the quality uh <clears throat> what are we talking about bamboo materials yeah cotton what do we got yeah you should have gotten a pair and if you didn't somebody's fired all so. right i think i just got it yesterday but i did not realize um that it was uh the g6 i was yeah, just like the- awesome i got some more uh some more sheaths here but i haven't tried it out yeah, it's it's a horizontal fly. It's bamboo. Okay. It's got it's a single pouch, so you the whole put the whole package in there. But you're flying private. All right. Just, I don't know. It's like no, I it like was that. A, it was a play more, on words. More cabin G6. space. Can I write a copy for this? Yes. All yes, right. Please. You, I, you, I guess I got to take it for a flight first. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, test flight. Yeah, I got to take it for a test flight, and then I can uh, draw with some copy. Robert, I got a I got a confession for you here. Um, which is I was in Denver recently and mm-hmm. I wanted to just surprise you at the store and I wanted to bring my camera and demand getting a dick fitting so I could get more properly uh, fitted sheets. Yeah. Uh, but you were further away from me than I'd expected. So yeah. I just didn't make it. But when I'm back out there for a summer porch tour and we do, I, I want to, I ran the steps at uh, Red Rocks one day Ooh. and I was like, I was like, I should do this with Robert. I feel like this would be a fun workout. There's a Manitou, it's the incline. It's called the Manitou Springs Incline. It's like a mile high staircase. Uh, I mean, I, or I'll meet you or whatever, but yeah, we got to get together. I'm down and... for that. Fine. I'm a hundred percent down. Cause I had oh, fun. Yeah. Red, dude, Red Rocks was fun, but it was like, it was, it was, it was tough. I mean, oh, yeah. that thing, that thing was a workout. Yeah. It's like, you'll be sore, like jello legs <laughs> kind of afterwards. Like, oh shit, I got to go back down now. <laughs> I got to ask you, I saw a video of you guys on IG with someone jumping off a bridge that looked too high to be jumping off of. What was the story there? Um, well, it was, I'm not sure if you're talking about the guy that jumped out of the helicopter. No, I saw someone just step up on a bridge. And first, even the way he stepped up was ballsy because he had to actually jump off and clear some room to hit the water. So that was oh, wild man. that he just like it was wild the way he casually stepped up. That's some parkour shit. Because if you messed up that step up, you were dead. <laughs> and then he cleared what you had to jump, but visually it looked like it looked like as almost as high as the George Washington. Now it's hard to tell on bridges because I've been on the George. I used to jog it all the time in high school, and it looked like you'd be able to survive that oh. jump. But I know that you can't. But that jump looked like it was. <sighs> too much <laughs> dude that would break your bones I'm, i didn't even see that yeah that's uh my team they're constantly coming up with new content that's why we pay them and, and it's funny because we really get the put like the impact from guys like you and dave and tim dylan and matt malice and these when we do our own content it's like we get like shadow banned or nobody really cares because we're an underwear company you'll get there though you guys yeah, are we'll, still a younger company Exactly. 10 years, right? Like before you kind of make it in comedy, I, th- I feel like, and we're not a c- comedy, but we're just, we're like six or seven years into really the, the, and it the, sets a tone when people like, find uh, you, they look back on kind of the brand. It sets a flavor. So I like it. Well, I like you. <laughs> there you go. Um, save it for the run. We can bang after that. All right, All right Robert. Sweet. Yes. We bring you on monthly basis. Usually it's earlier in the month. This month I've been uh, running around doing the live shows. Haven't been in the living room all that much. Uh, yeah. So we do like to get those monthly business tips. What do, what do you got for us this month? Get in good with the Jewish community. <laughs> Call it. That's it. That's all you need. Uh, no, but I mean, there's a couple of things with that. It's like you're you're the the sum of the five people you hang out with the most. So like the people Ooh. you hang out with, okay, are, it's uh, going to influence how you 
evolve and develop your personality and characteristics and whatever. So it's like you want to hang out with people you want to be like that are doing well, that are doing what you kind of want to do or somewhere along that same path. You know, like a lot of my friends own businesses and I identify them and we talk about it. And so if you want to own a business, it's, it can be helpful to get in the mind of someone else who owns a business and um, or, you know, people that are reaching for their the dreams and going for it like you. And I mean, we're not in the same business, but we're both hustling and we have that kind of mindset, that hustlers attitude. So it's hanging out with, you know, don't hang out with a bunch of deadbeat losers. I, there's a, there's a line in a Robert Greene's book, uh, the 48 laws of power. You ever read that one? I have it, but I, I have it downstairs, but it's, I it's a worthwhile read, uh, to give it some context, uh, or at least the way I see it, there's some really good pieces of insight in there. It's almost written to me in like a comedic way of like, as if you're using it as a guide for evil, uh, mm -hmm. but that's kind of like the marketing spin on it. I promise you there's really good information in there. Yeah. Uh, one of them, which I thought thought was one of the most valuable insights of the book, and I, I'm gonna I, this will be a misquote, but I'll get the theme accurate. But he says basically, uh, the best form of therapy is hanging out with uh, with people that have the skills that you don't have. Mm. And I've seen it in my own life is that sometimes like you can see things that successful people are doing and absorb it. Uh, and sometimes it's mm -hmm. just having the comfort of asking for things, specifically like when I worked in sales offices. Sometimes you would just see like people that were closing deals and like they were just better at being comfortable asking to close the deal. And mm. you could just be like, Oh, if I'm more cut, like you just kind of picked up, Oh, if I'm more comfortable or you would hear the way they talk to people and you're like, okay, yes. if I talked a little bit more smoothly or if I, you know, you just, you pick up skills that you would not have. And one of the big ones is sometimes you see how hardworking the successful people yeah. are yeah. and it kind of kicks you in the pants to go like, Oh, that's what it takes. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, it, it also helps to be tall and good looking and very charismatic, <laughs> but we're, we're getting past both of those things. We don't, uh, we don't have either of those. Attributes I know and we're, we, we're overcoming it. No problem. Exactly. So it's about your attitude, you know, and your personality will have a huge impact on your success. Well, way over your intelligence. You don't have to be a genius. You have to be kind of, kind of be cool. Like be a good dude. Work the, when you make deals, keep your word. That's a big thing in, in business, you know. But I don't want to get too all over the place, but just like your attitude and and having like a grateful attitude and not being like pissy and moany and gripey all the time. Like you want to be good to work with, fun to work with, like like you and, and I. Your mood. But I think let's I, I like keeping it to one. Yeah, uh, exactly. I think, and I think the good tip here is uh surrounding yourself with uh with some good people or mm -hmm. seeking out good people and uh i'll say in comedy i'm very fortunate that i uh, i think in comedy your best opportunity to network with people is if you can I, i'll pay it forward to you comedians out there the people that have shit going on right now and are famous you're gonna have a hard time like becoming friends with now that doesn't mean that like you don't have matching personalities you're not both in comedy but like, there's going to be so many people that are trying to network with them and nip at them and this and yep. that, that like, they're just going to be a little bit defensive because even mm -hmm. though you might be cool and you might be a genuine friend to that person, there's going to be enough other people that are not that, that are going to probably, they're going to ruin your opportunity to like organically meet them. 
yeah, they're trying to like mooch off of his success, these other yeah. people, and they ruin your potential. It's like Joe Rogan, he gets hit up too many times or yeah, too often. Like the, to... the, the, exactly. Now, yeah. that's not to say that I, I, I met Rogan once at Gas Digitally, could not have been nicer. Like, I was actually surprised by how awesome. laid back and nice he was in person. I was not, I was not expecting that. I, I figured maybe behind the cameras, he was a little bit more of what you heard of Howard Stern back in the day. Mm. Like, maybe he was with security, wearing his glasses. Hey, don't talk to that guy. You know what I mean? It wasn't any of that. He was Hell very, yeah. very comfortable. But your opportunity to network with Rogan was 20 years ago at the comedy store. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think the best I, I, I pay this forward. And th this I was very lucky to become friends with uh, Lewis and Dave when they were probably four years ahead of me in comedy. They were at like just fucking hilarious comedians mm -hmm. but they weren't like famous with a ton going on so like i was able to genuinely kind of like hang out with them and because and like i found that that was kind of the window with a bunch of people and I, like i said i actually am not a good networker i didn't show up to these places being like i mean i showed up to the clubs being like you got to hang out at the clubs but it, i did not do a good job at like uh, being fun it was such a scary place to hang out it was not like where my personality shined and where I was able to like, you know, but the point I'm trying to make is I actually, one of my regrets being now 11 or I did not, I've still have not done a great job networking. And that even now I kind of will be like, fuck it. I'll just produce my own show out of my living room or, you know, fuck it. I, I'm not hanging out at the clubs. I'll do my own show in people's backyards. Like I kind of, I'm fueled by fuck you. I'll do it on my own. I like and that though. There's I, a little like bit it. of, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, there, you, there's not one way to get it to the top. You, you, take these kind of like take this advice and then do with it what you will you're out you have your own personality and if if you're a do-it-yourselfer maybe that is the road for you but you 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 still network you still make these connections and when you do hang out with people try to make sure you're hanging out with people of high quality and one of the other cool things about that is if you're kind of hanging out with someone who's on the path like you and then they get a jump you know, they make it to that next step and you're like, Oh fuck. <laughs> I got now I got to step up because my boy is making me look like a punk and I got to, you know, now and it's, so there's a competitive aspect with your friends that, you know, if they get ahead, you want to jump up ahead too. And, and you'll both elevate each other kind of type thing. And I agree. I, I also, I wish I had spent more time and I still could be doing this talking comedy with, people that have been doing it longer than me because sometimes mm -hmm. like I actually have technical conversations with people and they they'll tell me something that like is a lifesaver that I wouldn't have figured out on my own. I'll give you an example. Greer Barnes is an absolute killer in New York city. He's like a New York city legend. You throw him up on shows. Uh, he's probably the toughest follow. I don't think he's spending as much time in New York, but he's okay. like absolutely phenomenal stand-up comedian. I did something on a show once and he just gave me a tip and it was, it was, I never would have figured this out. And he was just right. Which was like, if something happens in the crowd and you get heckled and you're, and you leave your joke, you can't come back to it. Uh. <laughs> so like, if you're like, let's say you're like three jokes in on your topic on whatever, it doesn't matter. You're, you're in the middle of telling a dating story and something happens to the audience where you got to like deal with an audience person. Like you have to address their heckle. You have to, whatever the hell it is. If yeah. you leave like the little planet of your joke, you can't come back to it. You got to move on to the next joke. Mm -hmm. And I, without, I, I don't need people, I don't need to talk too many technicals. I can just tell you, I, I listened to him and he's a hundred percent right. Every once in a while, I try not listening to that. And then if I go back to the joke, it never works. That was just a, 
technical tip that he'd been doing comedy long enough. And like he relayed to me, I had one with Dave recently where I, uh, we did the gig in Reno and I said to him, I was like, I very, I I'm very good in front of like a hundred people. I'm very mm -hmm. comfortable with a hundred people. I feel like I'm hanging out and I'm talking. I have not done that many shows yet of 300 plus people, which obviously the goal is to get there. And mm -hmm. it's better when you sell more tickets, you play in front of bigger crowds. That's the goal. Oh. So the first show we did in Reno, I'm not used to like, I guess, 300 people that are so into what you're doing that like they'll just clap at you making a point where like I'm not used to kind of the rally energy of a 300 person crowd that specifically likes you. I yeah, haven't dealt wild. with that. And they're I already noticed, on your side. Yeah, They're already on your side. And that's what you want. That's what you're looking for. And yeah. I noticed that I, I ended up in a little bit of a problem where like you want to bully the audience into your rhythm and you don't want them to let you let them kind of uh. like dictate. So I noticed that there were a few too many things getting like applause breaks that were like then not letting me get to like my punchline that would have gotten a laugh. And that like after 10 minutes of that, I felt like I was kind of for lack of better verbiage, I don't think anyone in the audience said anything other than Rob did great. But in my head, I was kind of playing out a key where it was like I was trying to like refine my rhythm a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and he gave me the tip of like watching out for early in the set, not having like, you know, don't don't have the things that they can cheer at without getting to a punchline. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. You, you kind of yeah. have to. Like if you if you have Structure. those moments. Yeah. If you have those moments where you're giving them something to like cheer at, they're going to cheer at it. So that's kind of, you know what I mean? You got to kind of end. Yeah. You got to kind of police for that so that you're not, you're not allowing that to happen. And I, he said it in much better. Like he gave uh -huh. me the insight much more clearly. But the second he said that I was like, oh yeah, he's right. And then I noticed like I had one or two things in my vaccine chunk that was not a joke that, but something that the audience would get really excited about. So I was like, you know what? That's, that's throwing me off. We're, we're taking uh -huh. it out. Well, yeah. see, you learn as you go. Like we did this thing. This is way insider baseball. I don't know how much time we have, but the, the G6 we just talked about, <clears throat> we got it. We got, we had them. We already have them. We have them, but we were trying to do something different. And so we're like, let's just do a pre-order and see if people get like more hyped about it. And uh, it was kind of like a dud. So we we're like, well, fuck it. Let's just release it. You know, but you can, so you can always adjust as you go along you know, there's nothing set in stone. What do you do? Business. You did like a, an email out. Hey, we got yeah. this new product coming in and pre-order it. Exactly. And I was hoping like with the Yeezys, I get these things and they're like, oh, the new Yeezys coming out. Download this app. I sign up for this. And I sign, I do all the shit. And then I right. still don't even get the Yeezys. So I thought maybe that it would build up some anticipation or some hype. And it was like, boop. So I hate when people make me download an app. Just give me the fucking information. It's not like that was my, my one gripe with Red Rocks. Red Rocks, fantastic venue. Absolutely loved <clears> it. But like they made me download their app to get my tickets. And it was just annoying. So I just showed up to the ticket thing. And then, of course, you get this guy who's been smoking weed all day, like a real uh, like, you know, well, one of these fucking hipster guys who just doesn't want to help you. And this is my move oh, no. when someone doesn't want to help me. Robert, I'll pay this one forward. It's great. You got to be calm. You got to be smiley and you just go whatever they tell you. Hey, so you're going to have to download the app. Sure. No problem. I tried doing that. and I ran into a problem. Can you show me how to do that? And then they go, they just like, ah, oh, fuck. I have to like, it kind of snaps them out of like the, just blah, 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 blah. like it snaps them out to go. Oh, I have to like help this guy. I find nine out of 10 times that are wrong. 
like there actually is an issue. They look at your phone, they look at the app or they look at like, and they're just like, and then they just go into the system and they hand you their shit. But I find nine out of 10 times, like their, their stuff actually isn't working properly. And if you just go, sure, no problem. Happy to do that. I was having exactly. an issue with it. Can you show me? It just like that shuts them down. They're like, ah, fuck. All right. I guess I have to help this person. Uh, yeah. You just play it like I'm... you're an old lady, an old Jewish lady. who can't figure things out. <laughs> That's the trick to life. And then you just walk breeze right through that's that's the tip all right Ask robert we're gonna i, I actually i want to change my flights i realized i might want to come in a little bit earlier uh so that i can set up uh the show uh oh. we're, we're gonna be by uh forest mommy she's out in the woods she's got a cool property and oh, yeah. i saw the setup into the woods i think i'm gonna set it up like a mini like a mini red rocks because she's got like a porch and like a natural thing kind of comes down like this so I think I'm going to put myself up against the woods, seating in the middle, seating up, seating around. And I'm going to try and maybe film that as a as a comedy special. So okay. I might try and get out there day early. But I, I like this idea of this one mile uh, hill run. I think that's fun. Oh, man, it'll break you. But it, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll get broke together. No, it's good. I'll start, that gives me a, a fitness goal to train for. I like that. All right. Well, as always, it is a huge pleasure. Let's race it. Let's race it. Well, uh, no, no spread. Even, even race. All right. How many, uh, what's the total stairs? I got to figure out what a mile of stairs looks like. Like at least, I mean, it's at least a thousand. At least. Yeah. I got to figure out how to train for a thousand stairs. I got about a month. This is about, no, this is two months. Dude, two months. This is a good challenge. Two months, a thousand stairs. What do you, we can work on what the bet will be. Okay. No, we're not we blowing can, we, each other. No, 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 no. We're not going to do that. We'll work on a bet, but I think this this is a good fitness challenge, and we can Absolutely. promote it. Robert, Ro- Robert, the Roberts, dueling of the Roberts, dueling of she- the Roberts for sheath for sheath greatness, sheath glory. <laughs> Sheathunderwear.com. Use promo code RYM, and you're going to save twenty percent. And every now and then, if you go at night, we'll do these little flash sales, and you'll get more of a discount, and you can still use the code. Ooh, that's yeah. pretty good. That's good we hack. Do, yeah, that's another like thing. I'm every day and I'm gonna go, but every day I'm looking at I'm checking the sales and the trend and like this this like whatever the trend looks like it's gonna be. And I can tell by like 8 a.m. how the day is gonna turn out. And um, but so but around four or five or six p.m. will if the sales are a little low, then we'll be like, all right, throw a sale on. That's what's cool about having an internet business as opposed to like a storefront where it's like turn on the sale, you know, and you, everything gets discounted like on a flip of a switch. And, but we also have a store in Woodland park, as you know, and we're growing and we're so grateful for gas digital and Robbie, the fire here. We're doing, we're, it's a great partner. We're going to be at Skankfest Vegas. It's going to be a party. We're gonna All, right. Crazy. All right, Robert, we're going to be in touch and uh, I'm looking forward to this. I'm going to start training. All right, buddy. All right. All right. Enjoy. Have, great- have a great rest of your show. All right. Later, Robert. Later, brother. That is our loyal sponsor, Robert from Sheath. Go load up. I'm, I, every time I do one of these uh, live shows, people keep coming up to me. They're showing off their sheath, like pulling up the straps, showing off what they're wearing. So uh, join Team Sheath. Uh, all right. So let's get into some actual news topics. I got one more plug, and then we we will do that. Uh, I like the cult of porch that I am building, and I'm liking the community experience and how much people are willing to not just show up, enjoy the shows, buy a ticket, hang out for the live podcast. Um, but people have been really supportive. And so I want to shout out a couple individuals who really helped out. 
Uh, and you guys should go check out these bigness businesses. So when we were out in Sandpoint, Idaho, I mean, we're in the middle of fucking nowhere. We're out in the woods. Usually I'm hauling gear. Usually I'm doing setup. And those guys really made it happen out in the middle of nowhere. So I do want to shout out a couple of individuals because if you guys are living out in the Idaho area, uh, these might be really helpful businesses for you. Uh, the first is Big Note Audio. Um, guy came out, Lou, couldn't have been more professional. Apparently he's got enough uh, gear that he said he could be doing a stadium, but he literally showed up lights, camera, equipment, everything. Got it done. Shout out to him. If you've got any events going on in the area, uh, I, I'm just telling you, I've seen, I've worked with a bunch of people. Lou just showed up and just got it done. He just like, he, he got that military background that Robert's got where it's just dead focus, gets it done. Uh, other one is top of the world. Seven B made an awesome, uh, show poster for me. They were putting them around town and it was funny when I got to walk around town and see pictures of me with Bigfoot and pictures of me as if I was doing a, uh, um, uh, 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 what's it called? Uh, uh, um, a transgender reading thing, whatever they call those. Uh, and then the last one is of course, I'm sorry, that was government is lame. Um, top of the world, seven B I might've messed up all these <laughs> Nick who hosted us, who, uh, was the man is setting up a, uh, recording studio in his basement. So if you're a recording artist, he's worth networking with. Um, he's got a very cool setup down there. We were smoking weed, watching Beavis and Butthead. That was a fun time. Uh, government is lame show posters and that kind of stuff. He made the poster for me. And then last is, um, a twisted history of the United States is out. We did an excellent podcast a, uh, a couple of weeks ago book is out. It's a worthwhile read. Uh, go pick it up. All right. Now let's get into some news topics here. Here we go. What do I got? Oh, first is we got Jill Biden talking about tacos. We can listen to this. This morning, first lady Jill. Of Miami and as unique as the breakfast tacos here. This morning, First Lady Jill there Biden. You, go. you guys all probably already saw the clip, but she's there. Latino. She's talking about breakfast tacos. People are getting upset at her. They're saying, hey, this is offensive. But I feel like at this point, can you really fault Jill Biden? I mean, she spends enough time around Joe. How do you not become an idiot? Like, even if you started off with the doctorate, you spent all day with Joe, and then she spends time around Kamala, so she thinks it's normal to, like, laugh at the end of your own shitty jokes. So that's why. And who are these speechwriters? Maybe the real fault here are these people that are writing these jokes for them and handing them to them because someone else writes this shit. Someone told her that it was going to be a good idea. And it's got to suck being the first lady when you're hanging out with some dude who's got dementia. He's shitting his pants, farting in front of the Pope, wandering around the kitchen in the afternoon, thinking it's the nighttime, asking for his first wife, wondering why the wrong kid died. And, he, you know, he's just walking around. He's looking for his dentures. He's uh, showing off his nice legs that for some reason haven't aged at the same pace as the rest of him. And then you're like, all right, well, if this guy can run the country, I mean, certainly, certainly I can go give a speech. I think the same thing happened to Hillary Clinton. You're staying around, you know, you're, uh, you know, your husband's just some creep likes hanging out with Epstein. You're like, this guy's not any smarter than I am. And then you think you can do the job too. All right, here we go. We got Bolton who, uh, I always wondered with Bolton, uh, cause obviously he's like the crazy, you know, Warhawk guy. He wants to fight everybody. Him and him and McCain, you could debate who is more interested in going ahead and pushing these wars. I always kind of wondered if maybe Bolton was playing a bit of a character where like behind closed scenes, maybe he was a little bit more rational, but the idea was to get on the news and pretend like the secure like that you were this person who wanted to fight everybody all the time. So that maybe if you got a cabinet position, people in other countries 
were afraid that you were going to be aggressive because you've got this guy. It's kind of like the way smaller dogs bark the loudest. I'm not saying that that's the way Bolton operates. I'm just pulling theories out of my ass. I don't know what show you watch, but that's what we do here. I pull theories out of my ass. So I've always wondered that with Bolton. If uh, maybe he's actually a little bit more rational than he comes off. And when he's on the news and other things, he's talking about, yeah, let's fight everybody all the time. So then if he gets into cabinet positions, people like uh, Russia or Freight or something like that. But here he is, uh, probably being a little bit too honest. Let's give it a listen. Nothing Donald Trump did after the election uh, in connection with uh, the lie about the election fraud, none of it is defensible. None of it is defensible. Uh, it's also a mistake, as some people have said, including on the committee, the commentators, that somehow this was a carefully planned coup d'etat aimed at the Constitution. That's not the way Donald Trump does things. It's rambling from one half vast idea to another, one plan that falls through and another comes up. That, that's what he was doing. As I say, none of it defensible. But you have to understand the nature of what the problem of Donald Trump is. He's, to use a Star Wars metaphor, a disturbance in the force. And it's not an attack on our democracy. All right, let's pause for one second. First is, I think this is the most honest recap of the way Donald Trump actually operates, which is he's just winging it. He gets bored. He yells. He screams. He's just kind of wheeling and dealing. Uh, one day he wants to talk about carpets. Next day he wants to talk about drapes. Next day he's like, I don't understand why this office wasn't redone. He's like just a very successful ADD kid with good sales tactics, who runs his mouth, yells at people, has no problem with confrontation, just no problem with confrontation whatsoever. And so he just yells, fires, and screams, and sometimes he gets his way, sometimes he doesn't. He just kind of keeps him moving. I think that's all pretty honest. Now, when Bolton describes him as a disturbance in the force, well, what he's just kind of describing is, hey, we've got this deep state thing going. We've got the democracy that we'd like to see run with our standard politicians who will approve all the things that, you know, us in the deep state are looking for. We got people that will just push our wars. They'll just push these policies. And so he's a disturbance in traditional democracy uh, because he's so popular and so many people will vote for him. Uh, but he's not the traditional politician that we all like because they will do our bidding. Uh, so first part, he's actually being honest. And then even in the second part where he's describing the way he sees Donald Trump as just basically not being the, I mean, it's funny that go democracy. I mean, that's not democracy. It's what the people want, right? That's what people voted for. But the powers that be don't want the people that, you know, we want or that we'll vote for. They want the career politicians that are part of the system. But then comes the real honest part. Democracy. It's Donald Trump looking out for Donald Trump. It's a once in a lifetime occurrence. I don't know that I agree with you to be, to be uh, fair with all due respect. Uh, one doesn't have to be brilliant to attempt a coup. Uh, I disagree with that. As somebody who has helped plan coup d'etat, yeah. not here, but you know, other places, uh, it takes a lot of work. And that's not what he did. It was just stumbling around from one idea to another. There you go. I'm a world-class expert in this. And let me tell you, it, uh, it's above Donald Trump's pay grade. Donald Trump isn't sitting around. He ain't doing the planning for it. I've done the planning and that's not what he did. Nothing Donald Trump wasn't what, what Jake Tapper was looking for. All right. Next is we got Elon Musk is walking away from the deal. Twitter's all like, you can't have the deal. You know, this is a fun one. Elon Musk goes, I'm going to buy your company. They're like, we don't want you to buy our company. He goes, listen, I'm going to throw down so much money. You're not going to have a choice, but to sell me your company. And they're like, we don't want to sell you the company. He goes, this is so much money. You're going to get in trouble if you don't go ahead and take it. And they're like, fine, we'll take that money. 
but you got to sign a deal that you're taking this thing as is. It's a billion dollars if you walk away. Elon Musk says yes. Then he turns around and he goes, listen, I'm going to need those numbers. And they're like, but we had a deal. You said you were buying this thing no matter what. You, you said that you wanted this thing so bad you were going to take it and pay us a shit ton of money for it. Now you got to pay us a shit ton of money. He goes, I ain't buying it. Unless you're going to give me those numbers, I ain't buying it. Uh, now, the numbers that he's looking for is uh, how many bots are on the platform. So obviously, if they're out there and they're selling advertisers, they're going, look at all these impressions you're going to get. If they're out there and they're getting everyone to be on there because they think all these people are seeing all their shit. And then all like the news people will cover the tweets that are on Twitter because they think that because it's on Twitter, it's reaching a large audience. That's what makes it important. It's a fucking old school gimmick. You pretend like you're all important and then other people think you're all important. What a, what a fantastic marketing play. So, you know, Twitter's been out there pretending like it's got all sorts of influence and then it becomes uh, reinforcing because then the news networks want to quote you for being on Twitter. And then you're like, okay, Twitter's the place where it's happening. So now the question is, how many bots are out there? And why do you got this guy, Elon Musk, saying, I want to go buy your company and then not demanding that information up front and then walking away from the whole thing? I'm going to float another theory out of my ass because that's what I do here. Elon Musk, he's a little bit, uh, he, he's a different pay grade of brilliance. You know, he's a tier above the rest of us. It's hard to know exactly what he's angling for. And I wonder if he was just looking to ruin Twitter the entire time. If he was looking to expose them for the vehicle of censorship that they are, because the second he showed up, they already started making some changes. It seemed like things that were shadow banned became unbanned. Some people that were kicked off the platform were allowed back on the platform. Maybe it's not that easy for them to reverse course. And then if he also is able to expose the fact that there's a lot of bots and other problems with the platform. Maybe he just fucking ruins it. And then he goes to starts his competing company, or maybe he just wanted to kind of uh, like poke at them for being so into censorship and just be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to do something about this. You know what? Like I'm an evil billionaire and I, I can play evil billionaire tricks. So if you guys are going to out there, be there out there uh, censoring, you know, I'll, uh, I'm going to, let's play this game. So, who knows what he's angling for, or maybe it's a very aggressive trick just to lower his purchase price. Uh, or maybe he got so much backlash that he realized it might create a problem for Tesla that he just wants out of this thing. But I'm just saying, Elon Musk, smart guy. We don't know specifically what he's going after. And uh, maybe he was just looking to not buy them and kind of expose them the whole time. All right. This is uh, Dylan saying Musk pulled a Bolton and said orange man bad. That's true. He got spanked pretty good by Trump, too. Uh, all right. We got more news stories and we got the more interesting. We got the real stuff coming at you. Don't be fooled. It's not all nonsense talk today. What else we got? Heathrow Airport imposes temporary passage cap to curve travel chaos. They're capping at 100,000 people a day. You know why? Because they can't process it anymore. And here's what's interesting about this. I would call that rationing. Government's stepping in and they're going, hey, listen, we've got to cap how many people can get these goods and services. Now, why shouldn't that be left to market prices? Why couldn't it be that I guess something could just be charged more for so that you can actually offer the services? I was trying to work on a joke about this for a while and it just never got a laugh. So I had to shelve it and I want to bring it back. But to me, you know, it's like, I prefer if a business would just cause me the uh, charge me the price of what something costs, right? And just accept that there's inflation and charge me more versus where they do this thing and they try and pretend like there isn't inflation. So it's like you can get a hotel room, but you got to check in later. There's less towels there uh, and you got to check out earlier. Uh, or it's like they'll sell you a plane ticket 
but that plane may or may not be there. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like, why not just tell me what the price of the goods and services cost? And then I can make an evaluation of whether or not I want the goods and services versus pretending like there's a price at which you can sell me something that doesn't exist. And then I got to deal with like, it's, uh, the equivalent of insurance, what they call kind of policing claims where, you know, there might be a cheaper insurance company that tells you, yeah, I can fully insure you for $25 a month. But then all of a sudden you get to old age or looking for that long-term care and they start policing the claims. They're not actually giving it to you. It's like, just tell me the price so that I can actually evaluate it. And uh, it's interesting because I feel like this is, we're starting to see the cracks in the socialism armor of government coming in saying that we could uh, mitigate the cost of shutting down Corona for Corona or other things. And now we're, we're starting to see rationing and it's like uh, airports seem to be the first victims and the first cracks in the armor. Uh, United Bodega of America's joint call to drop charges against uh, Jose Alba, bodega worker, accused of murder. Um, if you guys haven't seen this footage, uh, basically, we I mean, we talked about it on the last part of the problem. Uh, and this was a weird one because originally the full video was up and then like that got scrubbed from the Internet and you were only able to see the partial video. A uh, lady comes in trying to bag some chips, trying to buy it off her EBT card. Ain't got no money for the chips. Guy takes it out of the kid's hands. Supposedly, this part's not on tape. She goes, oh, man, I'm going to bring my man. She goes home, tells her man, oh, I need my man on this one. Guy took some chips. You better get in there. And then he shows up and he goes, listen, I don't know what happened, but she's telling me I got to fight you. So we're going to fight now. So he walks into the, like the little back area, starts uh, starts wrestling, wrestling with the guy. And the guy, I guess he's got a knife back there. So he grabs his knife, pulls some, pulls some. It's like a, it's like a prison shower fight minus the rape. He fucking gets in there, manages to stab the guy. Lady manages to stab the bodega worker. Bodega worker ends up getting arrested. Everyone's like, man, you should be able to, uh, to defend yourself. Uh, and then I just thought it's funny to me that the bodegas have a union. You know, you think of like the car union. You think of the teacher union, you think, you think of the, uh, the flight unions. You don't think that these guys slinging some cigarettes and energy drinks on your corner store, making some sandwiches, have a united union. And then I was like, I, it would be funny if we lived in a country where that was the world's most powerful union. Like the people that actually won elections was because they got the, the corner stores on their side. Like if they were talking about the delegation of corner stores, like imagine if the corner store union was as powerful as like the Israel lobby. Be fun. All right, I'm tired. Probably had more on that joke. Here we go. Floating abortion clinic proposed engulfed to bypass bans, which is way more fun than the ideas that I had. I was proposing back alley abortion economies, uh, investing early in things that seem like spas. I was talking about like an Uber van service taking you to other states. This is way more fun. A fucking abortion boat? You can like a, like a cruise ship. You can get your abortion on and then get right back to drinking. You can show up with your lady friends like taking a boat ride out on the harbor. Maybe you do it on the upper deck. You get a nice view the whole time. But then I was thinking of a great comedy horror movie. Here's the pitch. Robert, if you're still listening and you want to fund this movie or YoKratom.com, home of the $6 kilo. YoKratom, they got, they got that kilo money because there's no better prices on the internet. If you're into Kratom, you're not going to find a better place anywhere on the internet. It doesn't exist. doesn't happen. And so you know what happens? All these people that like Kratom, they're all buying it from YoKratom.com because it's the best place to get it. And so who knows? Maybe not just sponsoring Skankfest in this podcast. Maybe they'll, they'll sponsor this movie. So if you're out there, people of YoKratom, whose names I won't mention, but you know who you are. I'm going to send you this clip. 
I'm going to play it for you. When I give you a call this afternoon, here's my movie pitch. You ready? It's a horror movie. It's a comedy horror movie about a lady who's the greatest karate leg kicker of all time. I mean, this lady, she's won. She's traveled the globe, and you wouldn't believe the things, the, the karate kicks. She keeps winning competitions, and she front kicks, leg kicks, side kicks, spinning back kicks. I mean, we're talking about the greatest karate leg kicker in human history. And it's a horror movie. So this lady, you know, but in this universe, she's not the great champion karate taekwondo leg kicker lady. She's just a normal lady who happens to have a dad who was really into karate. So like, she's like the chosen one when it comes to karate leg kick. She never did anything with it because her whole life, she was just kind of like a loser. She ended up like working shitty jobs and oh boy, like the whole thing. But she, she should have been the greatest karate leg kicker of all time. So what we do is... So we got to cast the greatest female karate leg kicker of all time into the movie, but she's just going to play a regular person who never came to karate leg kick greatness, right? And now she's on this abortion boat because she's living in her shitty, crappy small town. And, you know, every once in a while she's getting drunk and she's banging people she doesn't want to be having sex with. And, you know, she's all drunk all the time, so she's just taking the loads up inside of her. It's a sad story. Until she turns it around and gets to karate leg kicking greatness, this is a sad story about... Uh, a good looking lady who's on the wrong side of not doing well in college, roaming around young thirties, drunk, taking loads from random dudes after nights at the bar. We've all been there. Don't pretend like you've never woken up in the morning, had to clean some clum out of your asshole. It's happened to all of us. And most of us don't have the ability to reach karate leg kick rightness. Most of us don't have that hidden skill, but this lady does. And so she finds out in her state, she can't get an abortion, but then her friends go, Hey, look, I booked us tickets for the abortion cruise. We're all going to go. And so they all go on the abortion cruise. They're hanging out on the deck. It's act one. Everyone's having a great time. There's manly men and they got fun activities and it's girl night and they're having a great time, right? That's act one. First 15 minutes. It's we, we see this lady's shitty life. We see that it comes all the way to the head when she realized she's going to have to get an abortion. She realized she can't get the abortion. End of act one. Friend comes. Don't worry. I've got tickets for this abortion cruise. Now we get to the abortion cruise and the first couple scenes. It's a party. They've made the best decisions their entire life. Day two, she goes to operate. And now is where it becomes a horror movie because what you forgot, this is international waters. Anything can happen on international waters. And guess what? They're not just taking abortions. Oh, no, they're collecting organs. They're taking your body parts. But this lady, the amnesia thing, it didn't work well enough for whatever they do to knock you out. So she wakes up on the operating table and uh, they took her arms. She wakes up. She looks at both. And she realizes she doesn't have any arms, but she's the greatest karate like kicker of all time. And so they realize, oh, my God, this lady woke up. And one of the doctors like, well, don't worry. She doesn't have any arms. What is she going to do? And then, bam, fucking kicks that guy, knocks him out, starts getting up. And she's doing, like, Russian leg kicks. She knocks out everybody in the whole room. And now she's got to try and escape this boat using nothing but her legs. I don't have a title yet, nor a sponsor. And I thought of that this morning. So, you know, I'll punch it up. I'll, I'll write in. I got, I'm got. i a Jew. I got contacts in Hollywood. So I'm going to hit them up about uh, the great karate leg kicker abortion boat, you know, and that's just the first one. I'm sure we can get a whole franchise out of this. Just wait till we get to like season four, five, six of the, the no arm lady, uh, who was just trying to get an abortion. Maybe that could be the second movie is that they took her arms before they even did the abortions. Then she ends up having the kid and then she's got to raise that kid and teach him karate kicks. All right. I think we milked that for all that it was worth. And I still have, I haven't even really gotten into the, to the, 
to the real news topics yet. Uh, oh, Adam James Cook is here with a great call, um, which is get Scarlett Johansson to do it. I think that is a perfect casting for this. Hey, Robbie, have you talked about Stieglitz in Sri Lanka and Ghana and the Netherlands today? Uh, that actually is our next topic. So you came through in just the right time with the right idea of what else I should be talking about. Uh, and I will also point out that if you haven't yet listened to the live run your mouth from Pittsburgh, that is one of the topics that I did get into. Uh, and that's what I got stored for today. But before we do that, I was very happy to see that on Twitter today, there was a hashtag of, uh, stop the shots that was trending. Uh, that just, I thought that was nice to see. Uh, there was a collection of, uh, what I would call bold claims of footage of people uh talking tragically about vaccine injuries that they have had i cannot speak to the authenticity of whether or not those claims are true i cannot even talk to the authenticity of this chart that i'm about to display for you guys however it just uh i always like to see when there are trending topics on twitter that are running contrary to anything being broadcast in mainstream media. A uh, recent example, obviously, would have been uh, Hunter Biden a couple days ago, uh, which we're not going to talk about until I'm in Nashville. But obviously, you had the latest claims of uh, 4chan going, hey, look, we uh, we cracked this guy's iCloud. And uh, as I will showcase when we're in Nashville, not uh, Google was very clearly censoring those results. It was not easy to find coverage on that in any capacity whatsoever. So I'm always happy when uh, when the free market is going, hey, here's something important and media clearly isn't talking about it. Uh, so I was just happy to see that this topic was trending on Twitter. Uh, with that being said, uh, they were claiming that the day that Boris Johnson stepped down, and it appears to me that the main reason Boris Johnson was being forced down was over that uh, moment uh, when we found out that he was partying throughout Corona, despite how, uh, how uh, uh, strict the country was being on it. And now the most recent news, or at least according to this chart, is that nearly everybody uh, getting sick, or I believe it's hospitalized in uh, in England, is vaccinated individuals. It is now a pandemic of the vaccinated. Uh, you remember when they were telling us all the percentages? When was the last time you heard a percentage about who in hospital is vaccinated versus unvaccinated? Why aren't they giving us that information anymore? Uh, and so it appears, at least according to this random piece of information on Twitter, that that story managed to get buried. All right. Now we talk about the Sri Lanka stuff. So working off of some headlines here, and obviously headlines don't give the full story. We all know how often you see a headline and then you can dig in and you're like, that headline has absolutely nothing to do with this article whatsoever. Uh, but I want to work off two headlines here and uh, build a bit of a story. Now, when it comes to bigger conspiracies, such as the World Economic Forum and that kind of stuff, I tend to not I tend my research tends not to go to, hey, there's four people in a room and they're orchestrating everything that's going on around us. I tend to focus a little bit more on, hey, uh, uh, these people are clearly lying to me or here. This is pushing socialism. And we all know that socialism means that certain companies are trying to, you know, make sure that they can get theirs by providing goods and services without competition and basically removing competition and the need to create value in the marketplace so that, you know, they can control goods and services in the name of, hey, I'm trying to help you out. 
I would say in a nutshell, that's kind of more of what I focus on. I don't go this layer further of, hey, are there specific random individuals who are sitting in a room who are really orchestrating these things and uh, with an evil agenda? Now, over the last couple days, starting with what I was talking about in Pittsburgh, which what was going on with the Netherlands in the reducing of nitrogen and seemingly reducing our capability uh, for farmers to both operate their farms and for the world to be fed, I will say I'm now like on my own. If no one ever told me about the World Economic Forum and I'm reading about that all these countries that want to limit nitrogen I start going like, I don't understand why. Like, I don't understand who would be pushing this. And I, I'm not saying anything is an absolute here, people. I'm just saying that it is starting to paint a little bit of a creepy picture. So I see this article basically talking about surging gas prices likely drove U.S. inflation to 40-year high. Headline from the AP kind of makes sense. Now, gas prices might come down, but if you got an environment of high gas prices, transportation costs are going up, everything's going up in price, right? Then. I see another headline, uh, and this is from Breitbart. World Economic Forum, gas prices must go even higher to save democracy. All right, so Breitbart, they're not usually my traditional news source. I nearly never read them. And yes, we are in the uh, more fantastical side of the internet right now. But I just contrasting the headlines of, hey, prices are going up because of gases to World Economic Forum going, we want even higher gas prices. And now this is somewhat in line with what I've heard from your Bidens and your Janet Yellens going, hey, listen, if we're working on fossil fuels, then we're going to be reliant on Russia and we can't be reliant on Russia. So what we need is higher fuel prices so that we can actually make uh, your green energy profitable. Now, obviously, we've already gone down this rabbit hole enough times. All things lunacy because you just go nuclear. So you're not even trying to solve the problem you're claiming is a problem. All right. But with all that. And so then you start leaning towards it does seem like they're trying to curb growth and population and other things. But let's just understand prices are going up. Prices are going up and uh, energy costs are definitely a factor in prices going up. I'm, I'm being clear with my words, a factor, I'm not saying the only factor, but it's clearly a factor and prices going up. And then you got people going, hey, let's push these even higher because if we push them even higher, then green energy is going to make sense. And then this is from this article. They're claiming that this is what the World Economic Forum said. First, leading democracies should agree to end underpricing of fossil fuels. That's a fun way to say it. It's underpriced, which is the principal factor preventing a clean energy transition. Because if fossil fuels were super expensive, then your windmill would make sense. And all right, you hear that and you're like, all right, cool. Windmills are going to make sense, except that means that everything's more expensive and people are probably going to starve. And there's probably going to be rationing of all goods and services and energy consumption because now all of energy is more expensive. You understand that's the flip side of it. Oh, if energy costs us more, then windmills will make sense. Well, windmills make sense when everything's super expensive. So how about we just don't make everything super expensive? All right, let's continue. The underpricing associated with producing and burning oil and gas amounted to $5.9 trillion in economic costs in 2020. Nearly a quarter of these losses, $1.5 trillion, occurred in 48 major and smaller democracies. The leading democracies of the G20 should collectively commit to phasing out costs and tax breaks for the production and consumption of fossil fuels. They should also phase in more effective pricing of fossil fuels through taxes or tradable permits to co- cover the costs of local air pollution, global warming, and other economic damages. Because uh, obviously we can quantify the cost of uh, global warming, 
I didn't even think people were talking about global warming anymore. I thought it was climate change. I thought the thing was going through puberty, having a couple rough years. Uh, and then this is from Jack Posobiec on Twitter. And this was something that was being widely reported today, but not like on your Google News, not in your Google News, but in your more uh, conspiratorial lanes of news or conservative information. So Sri Lanka, obviously, uh, they, they just got overthrown. It's interesting. I want to I make clear, this is not a racist remark on Sri Lankan individuals. This is humans in general. It's interesting when you see massive amounts of humans actually like storming a government office, and then you start to realize the power of the masses. They, people almost start looking like, like cockroaches overtaking a building where you just like, I, I, when you see the bird's eye view, and this is not a human perspective, but it almost looks like an ant colony where you're like, wow, that's all. It's almost like when you watch zombie movies and there's enough zombies that like, even though you got tanks, you got your this, you got your that. It just kind of doesn't work. It's just it's interesting visually to see because you don't really see it all that often. Uh, so they took over. They got rid of this Sri Lankan president guy, prime minister. Uh, and now the conservatives are hopping on the storyline and they're saying that this was uh, the result of policies that the World Economic Forum has been trying to be pushing, that this guy was working in tandem with them. He's been uh, trying to implement their economic policies, and that's what's led to the upheaval in that country. I'm going to guess that it's largely a lot of it just has to do with the world shutting down over uh, coronavirus, and I bet other debt issues that they had. Uh, but there were claims that there was an article written on the World Economic Forum from the Sri Lanka prime minister uh, about this is how I will make my country rich by 2025. And he's talking about all these World Economic Forum ideas, which the World Economic Forum, I, I mean, just to break it down, they want everything to be like going to the laundromat. And the laundromat sucks. I mean, if that's your pitch of, hey, isn't it cool that if you can't afford a laundry machine, you can show up to a laundromat and then you can rent that machine for a period of time? Wouldn't it be great if everything, no, that's the worst part of my life is I got to go to a fucking laundromat to do my fucking laundry that I show up with dirty clothes and then I leave thinking I got the coronavirus. And then I and then I go, oh, shit, I got to waste another night here because my shit is even fucking dry. And then you got to fold it. The fucking laundromat fucking sucks. That's your pitch for everything in my life to look like a fucking laundromat. I, I should have to spend hours. I got to be nervous about machines. I got to show up with quarters. I'm going to have to spend my entire bag, my, my entire life with a backpack full of quarters so I can, you know, rent machines for short periods of time. And, and then I then then I everywhere I go, they don't even have fucking quarters. They don't even have quarters. You're going to find out you need quarters for everything. But the Federal Reserve can't get you any fucking quarters. That's the life the World Economic Forum wants me to live in. All right. <laughs> Brings me to. Uh, um, oh, all right. Wait, no, I want to read this. Uh, this one quote. Um, which I don't even know where I got this from. Sorry, everybody. Right, we're a longer show than I expected. Notably, Sri Lankan President uh, Gotabaya Rajapaksa also promised in 2019 to transition the country's farmers to organic agriculture over 10 years, following up uh, in April 2021 by imposing a nationwide ban on fertilizers and pesticides and ordering the country's 2 million farmers to go organic. Sounds kind of similar to what's going on in the Netherlands, uh, where they're telling people that they can't operate their farms and that they've got to reduce the nitrogen. I also saw a headline today about in Canada that uh, Trudeau, who's another one of these World Economic Forum guys, is saying that they got to limit nitrogen usage down like an additional 30%. I forgot the exact year. I'm not fully researched on this. I'm just starting to kind of piece together that this storyline that I was ignoring for a while 
uh, seems to be getting a little bit creepier. Now, on the plus side, it just failed drastically in Sri Lanka. And you see these countries where they're just like, fuck you. Like, none of this makes sense. I don't understand why India and China are going to continue to pollute the environment. And you're telling me that I can't own my farm. And you don't really have the specifics on the contribution that this is making to. And like, we need food right now. Like right now we need food. So if there's going to be a problem with the environment, like can we eat food now so that we can figure out how to be rich enough in the future to maybe correct for the problem in the environment? And what specifically is the problem with the environment? Like, or do you have other food ready to go? You got, you got your worms ready to go. You got your fake meat ready to go. And then you're going to end up finding out with the worms and the other shit that however the fuck it's produced creates just as much pollution, if not more, because that's the way it always goes. All right. So with that being said, with what I with, with with the way I've approached these things is to go, hey, here's when the news is lying to me. And here's where it seems to be pitching socialism or protectionism for large companies uh, at the expense of competition, innovation, companies needed to bring you value is I'm readily willing to admit that I might have been wrong in my end of year misinformation spectacular uh, in the way I was describing the ESG scores. It seemed to me that your uh, most popular uh, brand, like your most favorited players attached to government, your BlackRocks and others, were making investments that would not be profitable without government legislation, such as green energy. And so what they were trying to do is create an environment where government regulation and financing would only go to things that they were going to invest in and control in the name of green energy. And the result of that would be uh, basically higher costs, less innovation, removal of value from the marketplace in favor of these basically bigger banks, bigger players making money on things that otherwise would not be profitable investments because they're forcing money into it in government funds and resources. It seems like the ESG story was actually a different racket where, like I said, normally without government regulation and bullshit, you got to create some value. So if you're trying to sell somebody your financial services, the value that you're going to have to bring them is the fact that you made them more money. But now let's say you pretend that you're being more moral, more moral than the other guy. And so investing with me is actually charitable because even though I won't make you as much money, I'm helping make the world a better, greener place then you might be able to charge higher fees and you might be able to make more money without creating more value to your clients. So it seems that part of the ESG, I think it actually started out a little bit more nefarious and the way that I was looking at it. And I think they would still ideally like to bring it there where their non-profitable investments would become profitable because of government legislation. Uh, but it does seem like the current uh, usage of the ESG is just pretending that you're ESG compliant uh, when you know your returns aren't there or when it suits you so that you can pretend like you're doing something for the world even when you aren't. Or it becomes a compliance thing where if you're Goldman Sachs, maybe it's easier to get your ESG approved rating. Whereas if you're uh, Tesla, uh, it's not as easy to get that approval. And so it's a different way of getting away from competition and creating value uh, and a different way of kind of regulating the favoritism that uh, more institutional and powerful players are looking for. So here's an article from the Wall Street Journal, The Many Reasons ESG is a Loser. You'll pay for uh, far higher expenses for a fund with similar stocks, but worse performance. We're going to read a little bit. So yes, you're paying someone five to 15 times as much to adjust some weightings and perform worse. 
For BlackRock, ESG and sustainable investing don't seem to be about responsible or socially just investing. They're simply, simply a lucrative business model. And it's not only ESG. In May, BlackRock and the UN announced plans for gender lens investing. Can they even say that anymore? Fidelity already has a women's leadership ETF with a net expense of 0.59% and a similar theme mutual fund with 0.90 expense ratio, 20 to 30 times the cost of an S&P 500 ETF. And so I would like to pitch to you guys, let's create the women in leadership ultra short fund where we ultra short whatever these people are uh, betting on solely because there's female leaders. Let's bet against women. Yeah, for every bet, there's a counter bet. Like you look at uh, that movie, the, the Big Short, you know, all these big banks, they were betting on uh, the housing market. They're betting on subprime mortgages going up, up, up. Michael Berry and other people stepped in and said, I'm going to bet on that going down, down, down. And so you and me, who else is in on this? You want a sure money maker? Let's get together. Let's forge our resources. Let's bet against women. That'd be a fun place to close. But let's just read this last paragraph. University of Colorado professor Sanji Ba, writing the Harvard Business Review, makes four important points about ESG. One, ESG funds have underperformed. Two, companies that tout their ESG credentials have worse compliance records for labor, labor and environmental rules. Three, ESG scores of companies that signed the UN principles of investment didn't improve after they signed, and financial returns were lower for those that signed. And my favorite point, Four, companies publicly embrace ESG as a cover for poor, poor, poor business performance. It makes sense. When, innings, when earnings are bad, companies cite their focus on ESG. When earnings are good, they drop ESG references. Actually, this is a dangerous as ESG metrics drive overinvestment by ESG funds and companies bragging about their credentials rights as their financials turn south. Ouch. I think that's only, I got to be honest, I think that's only an element. I think if they could actually win the game, or they're leaning into the infrastructure of since they're diverting more resources into these funds, they do go up in value. A lot of stock prices are actually, you know, if people are buying it. So if the institutional investors are buying one stock for ESG compliance over another one, the ESG compliance stock can go up in value. And then if they can pull more trickery in terms of financing available or legislation that kills competition, those might go up in value. So this could just be kind of version one of ESG where it's more of a financial scam and that they're not bringing the value promised to investors. But I just don't think that the regulation that these guys are looking for has necessarily kicked in yet. All right. Um, Anything else? No, that's it. I, I feel like that was a good uh, thing to end on is, uh, you know, bet against women. Uh, guys, some report store dates coming up. Uh, I have some new ones to announce on the next episode. Uh, and then I think, you know, they'll probably be the last ones that we'll announce for the summer, but they're going to be uh, cool ones, cool locations. Uh, of course, the epic conclusion to some report store. Well, actually, no, I take that back. Epic conclusion to some report store is going to be a forest mommy's house. I was just plugging that with Robert. It's going to be the smoke out bug out. And uh, hopefully if I can get it all together, going to tape, uh, you know, tape something, put it out on the YouTubes. Uh, prior to that, we've got Max's house. Max's OG porch store. It, I look forward to it all summer. We don't we don't just go there for porch store. I've been there on random nights just to party at his bar with him. Uh, we also did the we did a winter edition when I did my end of year recap. Uh, Max has a private bar on his property. He's also got a big ass backyard that you can camp at. That one I bring out all the stops for. We're gonna have the uh, the Shedcast guys full rap concert. Uh, you're gonna have myself. You're gonna have a couple comics, and then there will be a live podcast late at night from the bar for sure. That was a fun one. Just fucking, I don't know how far you got to travel, but you should travel there and you should camp out. Uh, the day before that, I'm going to be in Arlington. 
uh, bringing a bunch of comics with me. We're at a bar. There was a holdout uh, throughout all the Corona stuff with the mask mandates. I think the uh, regional LP for uh, putting together that gig, that's going to be pure stand-up comedy. Um, and then obviously this weekend, Atlanta and Nashville with BK Chris, those are going to be fucking fun ass shows. And then this upcoming week, uh, also I think it's July 19th at Caroline's. All these will be linked in the episode description. Uh, thank you everybody for, uh, hanging out with me. Enjoy your work days. Oh, let's take a couple comments. I keep teasing. Like I'm going to be done. Here we go. Robbie has been to a laundromat for sure. Yes, I have. The funniest thing on the show today was, no, I hate, I fucking hate laundromats. It's the worst part of my life. Thank you, Dirty Mike. Adam James Cook. I've been against women for 30 years. <laughs> there you go. That guy gets it. Um, in China, they are purposely making people allergic to meat by using an illness transferred by ticks to force people off meat. Send me the hot take. Robsnewsroom at gmail.com. I would love to cover that. All right, last one. Here we go. Not only were the conspiracy theorists correct, they were spot on every time. Unironically, I don't listen to the corporate press at all. Only run your mouth and signals for my bowl of oatmeal. That's that's the way to do it. Let me know what these what the oatmeal reads are. Later. <laughs>